Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Well, today I want to test your Wizard of Oz, Wizard of Oz knowledge real quick, okay? So in the, in the story, The Wizard of Oz, there are four main characters in the story walking down the yellow brick road, correct? And so what I'm going to do is we're going to see if you can remember what each of these four people needed. What was the thing that they were on the road searching for? So we have Dorothy. What does she need? What is she searching for? Home. Home, yeah. So then the first person that she meets is the scarecrow, and what does he need? A brain, A brain just like me, right? <laughs> okay, just like some of us in the room. And then they continue on their journey and they meet the tin man who needs a heart. And then finally they meet a lion and he needs courage. courage. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to join the cowardly lion on our own journey, our own road to courage. Because as we'll see today, his quest is our quest. And our quest is the same quest that the early church was on. That's exactly what they needed in the book of Acts. So uh, we're going to conclude our series today, New Thing. Uh, We'll start a new series next week as we just continue on through Acts. We're going to conclude it with this idea, the road to courage. In ancient Greek philosophy, they had four major philosophical values that they valued above anything else. And they were wisdom, justice, moderation, and courage. Four main virtues in the ancient Greek philosophical world. Now, the two main Greek philosophers that you may have heard of, uh, Aristotle and Plato, they agreed that those are the four main virtues to pursue, but they viewed them differently. So Plato would say that these uh, values are the ends, that we travel through life, journey through life, struggle through life on our pursuit toward these virtues. Then Aristotle would say, no, these values, these virtues are the means by which we live life. We live life in these values to try to get to an expected end or achieve a desired result. But I think of all people, the cowardly lion shows us that they're both half right. Both of these ancient Greek philosophers are both only half right. Because as you probably well know, courage is required as you live your life every day. But there are certain times when more courage is required. There are times and seasons where added courage is needed. It takes courage to get up in the morning and maybe go to your job. But then in the middle of your day, added courage is sometimes needed. So I think we see that in this classic children's tale and also as we kind of mesh these ideas from ancient philosophers together. Now, when it comes to these four values, the ancient Greek philosophers would have seen them pretty much on a level playing field. They're all sort of equally needed. There's not one necessarily that much more important than the other. But C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, wrote this. He says, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point, which means at the point of highest reality. 
This is where the church in Acts finds itself. They're on the road to courage. They've already, as we discussed the last several weeks, they've already exhibited great amounts of courage in the face of opposition, in the face of attack. They withstood that through the power of the Holy Spirit, giving them courage to stand for their faith, for the name of Jesus. But they know that this is just the beginning of a long journey. And so while we've had courage every step of the way, we know we still need more and more and more courage to continue down the path that God has for us. And so we will join not only the uh, cowardly lion, but the church in Acts on our road to courage. So again, this is sort of ending uh, an event that happened in Acts 3 and 4, where Peter and John have been used mightily by the Holy Spirit, healing and preaching in the name of Jesus, but they've experienced imprisonment, they've experienced interrogation and threats by the local religious authority. And so now they're released, and here's what happens right after they're released. This is Acts 4. We're going to start at verse 23 and look at this section here this morning. Acts 4, 23. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. Verse 24. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. So Peter and John come back to the group. Now, we've been able to read along the way and study what's been happening, but no one apart from the two of them actually know what's been going on. They just know that for a couple of days, Peter and John have been sort of missing. Where are they? Are they okay? What's going on? Did they desert us? Are they in danger? What's the deal here? And so then they come back and tell them everything. And again, the church has already shown great amounts of courage in their short time span so far, but they know that more courage is required. And so as we continue working through this passage, what we're going to do on this road to courage is stop at three mile markers along the road to courage. There's going to be three mile markers that will help us to build and find and live in and experience this kind of supernatural Holy Spirit courage that they needed and that we need in our life of faith. We'll spend a majority of our time on the first one, and there's some great elements that we're going to hope to bring out uh, in that. And so let's start here with the first mile marker toward courage, which is this. Courage comes through remembering. The first mile marker on the road to courage is that courage comes through remembering. Let's pick it back up at Acts 4.24. Um, it says, when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through, your, through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with feudal plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. So this entire opening section of the prayer of the church is about remembering. Even how they address God in their opening of the prayer is remembering who God is and what he does. You are sovereign, they say. You're in complete control. He's the all-powerful creator. So here's an interesting exercise that maybe you can try this week in your prayer. 
Even, even just the address of God at the beginning of the prayer was a reminder to the one praying who they're praying to and what he does. So maybe you start, like I do this quite often, you just start your prayer the same way probably. Dear God or maybe Father God, maybe this week let's try a little exercise in our prayer. As you approach prayer this week, try to think of a different descriptor of God or different attribute of God that you can begin your prayer with to remind you every day a different aspect of the goodness, the greatness, the faithfulness, the power, the love of God. And you can use any sort of adjective you want, any sort of descriptor that comes to your mind and your heart, just a different way to address God. Maybe one day he is going to be Father. Maybe he's going to be a, a loving God, some other attribute of God or God, faithful God or creator God or powerful God, whatever that blank is you want to put in there to address him. Maybe this week kind of mix it up to help you right off the bat before your prayer even really starts to remind yourself of, I'm praying to a pretty powerful person. I'm praying to a pretty important person. I'm praying to a person, although he's powerful and important, he intimately loves me and wants relationship with me. So just an idea for us to try in this sort of vein of the early church here. So they start their prayer that way, and then they begin with quoting really in their prayer, Psalm chapter 2 is what this quote is. And they attribute it to David, although uh, the prescript in the versions of the Bible I have don't give David the credit for it necessarily, but they, quote, they attribute it to him. And we'll read a couple of verses from Psalm 2 here in a little bit. Uh, but they, it's written by David. Uh, I, I would believe it's partially about David as the king here, as we'll read in a few minutes. But it's ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And that's what they're connecting those dots. Th this ancient text, this song that we probably sung in synagogue, you know, week after week, we've memorized it as boys, as young children. We have seen these things happen. It's reminding them, the scriptures remind them of what they've just lived out in the past few weeks. They're praying scripture, which is another thing that I think is helpful for us to do as we pray. Whatever those scriptures are that you have memorized, whatever they are that are close to your heart, whatever God brings to your mind in prayer, pray that in your prayer. Maybe a promise that God has in his word for healing. Pray that in your prayer as you're praying for healing. Maybe it's, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God, help strengthen me to whatever you have. Whatever that verse is, whatever that scripture, that passage is, pray the scriptures in your time of prayer. It's going to help to remind you to then give you the courage that you need after that prayer is over. Their remembering here in their prayer gave them the courage to continue the journey that God had for them. So for a little bit here, I want to kind of break off into this interesting concept that I've been looking at a lot the last couple weeks. And that's this idea in the Old Testament, there was a specific way that a lot of key Old Testament figures did this same thing. And it was through the idea of building altars. So for these Old Testament figures, we'll look at a few examples this morning where Building these altars for these people was not just a place of prayer, although it was. It was not just a place of sacrifice, although it was, but it was a place to then remember what God did at this spot. Or then to come back to it later and be reminded, maybe years later, as we'll see in a second, of what God did here at this spot, at this mile marker, this milestone, this monument, this altar is a way of reminding us of God's faithfulness that then leads us into courage. Let's look at a couple from uh, Abram or Abraham in the Old Testament. So in Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to this man named Abram, and he says, I'm going to make out of you a mighty nation, and I'm going to give you descendants that are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as numerous as the grains of sand on the shore. 
And so immediately after God appears to him, the next thing Abram does is build an altar, partially to worship God in this spot, but then to remind him of this promise, of this covenant, of God. I'm not seeing this happen yet, but I can go back to this altar and remember God speaking this to me. And so then part of this, though, is God said to get this promise, you have to leave the comfort of your home and go to a distant land that I will show you. So Abram begins this journey with his family and possessions, and they travel south in the region, and then they make kind of a pit stop. We don't know how long they're there, but long enough for Abram to do what? Build an altar. They're between Bethel and Ai, and he stops and builds another altar, another mile marker along the way to then connect to the one way up north where the same God made the same promise, and I'm still traveling. I haven't seen any sign of that coming true yet, but this altar is a reminder for me of God's covenant promise. So as they continue to travel uh, south, there's a famine in the region. They get stuck in Egypt for a while. Uh, crazy events happen there that if we ever preach through Genesis, we'll talk about, but that's not for today. So then they're forced to leave Egypt after a certain time, and they travel back north. Remember, they've come south. Now they're going back up north. And then catch this, Genesis 13, verse 3. Here's what happens as they travel back north. From the Negev, that's a desert, they continue traveling by stages toward Bethel, and they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar, and there he worshiped the Lord again. Remember, the first altar after God speaks is there to remind him, but then he builds the second one as a reminder, and it literally became an actual physical reminder as he stops at that point again. Just say the same God that, you know, we thought in Egypt things were weird and things were wrong and this wasn't working, and, but now we're coming back here to remind us of this covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. This altar was a reminder for Abram of God's promise because along the way, he's probably going to be thinking, okay, why are we traveling all this way again through the desert? Why did we leave everything? What's the point of all of this wandering? The point is found in the altar. The reminders found in the altar. God spoke to me. God promised me. God made a covenant with me. I made a covenant with him. And so this altar reminded him to give him the courage to keep going. But then later, Abram, who's now Abraham, years have passed. God along the way promised him. If he promised him descendants, he's going to have to have some literal physical sons, right, to, to make that promise happen. So finally, in his old age, very old age, uh, he has his son, Isaac. And God then, after Isaac is born, and we don't know exactly how old Isaac is, but God's starting his promise, right? We, it's just a little bit, but I see the, you know, it's coming, it's happening. All of a sudden then, God wants Abraham to, make, to build another altar. But this time, he wants him to put his son on the altar to sacrifice him. And so Abraham has the courage here to do that. Why? Because to Abraham... An altar wasn't just a place of sacrifice and slaughter. To Abraham, who'd built enough altars by that time, new altars are really a reminder of the faithfulness of God. So I can trust God even when he asks me to do the craziest thing you could imagine. The unspeakable, unthinkable thing that God is asking him to do is included in building an altar, which Abraham knows what that means in some way. So he takes his son with him. You, you, you know this well, but let's look at it for a second. Uh, Genesis 22, verse 7. 
as they're traveling, uh, Isaac and Abraham, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? You see, Isaac didn't quite know he was the sheep for the burnt offering quite yet. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. But Abraham has built altars before, remember? And so this one may seem different, and probably Abraham, this one is different. Okay, God, I know what altars are supposed to mean. I know what they've meant for me before, but this one feels a little different. This, I don't know how this one's going to turn out like the other ones did. This does not seem right. But he knew what altars really were. They were a reminder of God's promise. And so he's ready to sacrifice his son. He's going to, you know, slaughter him to kill him as a sacrifice. The angel stops him and says, no, 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 just a test. You pass the test almost too well. You're almost too eager to get rid of your offspring, it seems like, Abraham. But the angel stops him. And there, then here's what happened. Genesis 22:13. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Then catch this, verse 14. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day... People still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Abraham had the courage to do the unthinkable because he was an altar builder. And for him, that was a constant reminder of God's faithfulness. So he could say God will provide to his son when he doesn't really know that God will provide because he knows that God will provide because he's been asked to build an altar. It's a reminder of God's provision, promise, and covenant. So much so that one of my favorite verses is Hebrews eleven nineteen, where he's in this faith hall of fame, you know, with all these great figures. This story comes up in that passage because what the author of Hebrews says in that verse is Abraham had so much faith, he believed that if God had to bring his son back from the dead to keep his promise, he would. That's how much faith or courage Abraham had because he was an altar builder. And can you just imagine the Father's Day card next year that he probably got from Isaac? Dear Dad, thanks for not killing me last year, your son Isaac. You know, it's like maybe a little awkward next Father's Day, but maybe it's the best one ever for them. But Abraham had this kind of courage because he built altars. And then Isaac, who was part of this, built his own altars along the way. We won't have time to get into that, but he did. Jacob, we'll just talk about one quickly that Jacob built, uh, kind of halfway point of his life, kind of this midlife point. Um, and he, but the reason I want to read this is because he has the same reasoning of why he's building altars. Genesis 35, verse 3, Jacob is telling his family, we're going to Bethel where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I have gone. Altars are a way to remember. God answered me. He's been with me. One more really cool example that I'll mention and we'll move on is Joshua. So Joshua is the leader of Israel after Moses, kind of the great, you know, the top tier, the creme de la creme of leadership. And Joshua has the unfortunate pleasure of following the legend, okay? That's his job. And so Joshua here has a very similar first 
problem when they're going to enter the promised land. So to escape Egypt 40 or so years ago under Moses, they had a sea in front of them, didn't they? The Red Sea that God supernaturally parted in front of them. Well, guess what? 40 years later, Joshua now at the helm has a similar problem. The Jordan River is now blocking their access to the land that God is saying to go and take. And so Joshua, though, Joshua and Caleb are the only two men who, some of the only men, only adults definitely, that were there at the first one. So they've seen what God can do. Joshua knows what God can do, but he still uh, requires courage to get through this. And so uh, what he does is he commands the priests that carry the Ark of the Covenant to start walking toward the sea. And guess what happens? As they walk toward the sea, the waters begin to part, just like the Red Sea did 40 years before. And as they stand in the middle, in the very middle of this dry bed, the people walk across and continue on their journey. But then Joshua decides, hey, you know what we should do here? We should build an altar to commemorate this moment. And so uh, Joshua, he, he commands one man from all, each of the 12 tribes to go to the center of this dry riverbed and pick up a stone and carry it across. And when they do, they compile it to this memorial or this altar to commemorate what God did for them, his faithfulness to them. And so we see it here. This is uh, Joshua 4, verse 6. Uh, we will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. They're building altars, not just for themselves, but for future generations to look back upon. Because then maybe hundreds of years later, when they're in exile, they can think, you remember that altar that our ancestors built a long time ago? God, that same God is still faithful. We're going through a struggle now, but that same God is still faithful. I can look back at those altars of remembrance and see that he is the same God. And he will deliver us just like he delivered our ancestors. But then Joshua does one more thing that I think is incredible is they take 12 stones from the riverbed to build an altar. Then he takes 12 stones from scattered throughout to build the altar in the middle of the riverbed that they just crossed. Okay, let's look at this verse, Joshua 4, 9. Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, catch this, and they are there to this day. Now, I don't know if they're there to this day, but by the time this was written sometime later, it was still there to this day, an underwater altar. It's kind of cool, an underwater altar that they built. They're there to this day to remind us of God's provision, power, and promises. Altars have a way of doing that. Here's another way, a different way to phrase that that maybe you can think about this week. Altars are a connection to covenant that create courage. All that to say this point. Altars are a connection to covenant that create courage. Abraham built altars that connected him to God's covenant with him to remind him of God's promise to him that created courage to continue down the road he was on. Isaac, the same way. Jacob, the same way. Joshua, the same way. This prayer in Acts 4, the same way. They're starting their prayer out by acknowledging who God is and then what he's already done. They've built these altars in this way. And you and I need to be altar builders. We need to make these moments of remembrance. We need to write down the things that God says to us in our time with him. 
We need to keep track of the, the things that he's done for us, the ways that he's been faithful, the, way that, the ways that he's come through when nothing else could happen, when, no, when everyone else said no and God still made a way. We need to write those down, build those altars to then over time remind us of who God is. Those moments where things are really dark, when things are really heavy, when the impossibility is staring you in the face, you will then have altars to look back to remind you of who God is to give you courage to continue. So when you're faced with a decision, you can look back on God's wisdom in your life and trust that he will continue to give it to you. Moments when you're attacked, you can remember God's protection and walk in the courage that he gives Times where you're afraid, you can remember how God provided and he will continue to do so. Times where you're anxious or angry, you can remember God's peace in your life to then walk in that peace that comes through courage. When you don't think that you can go on or take anymore, you can look back at the altars that you've built of remembering who God is and be filled with courage to continue. Courage comes through remembering. Then the second mile marker here on this road to courage is courage comes through praying. Now, this whole thing is a prayer, so it kind of goes without saying, but I want to look at a specific part of this prayer for this second mile marker here for just a couple minutes. Pick it up at Acts 4, verse 29. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Again, the whole thing's a prayer, but I want you to notice a couple of things about this section in particular. Notice how they pray, and notice what they don't pray for. Notice how they pray and what they don't pray for. How did they pray? They just prayed directly. God, we need courage. God, would you give us courage? They just get right to the point of what they need, because they know that God, God knows what's going on. We just need to tell him what's going on and then just wait for him to respond. They just simply, clearly, directly ask God for what they need. And what they are doing here, as we mentioned a minute ago, is they're quoting part of Psalm chapter 2. There's one part of that earlier in the psalm um, that I wanna, just want to read for a second to look at this same idea of asking and praying in faith for courage. This is Psalm uh, 2, starting at verse number 7. It says this, The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. Catch this, only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. So the people, as they quote Psalm 2, they attribute it to David. So we can assume David wrote this based on their prayer. Uh, we can assume then it is partially about David in some way, in a partial way, but ultimately it's fulfilled through and completely about Jesus. You're my son, I'm your father. But then that, that first part of verse 9, only ask. It kind of reminds me of John chapter 14 when Jesus is with his disciples and he says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. It's hearkening back to this idea. Just ask. And so they take Jesus at his word. What do we need? Courage. Jesus says, ask. We need courage, God. It's just very simple, very straightforward, but very powerful. Just the simplicity of asking your father for what you need and waiting for him to give you what you need. They just simply ask for it. But look at what they didn't ask for. What, what is not in this prayer? They didn't say, God, deliver us from our enemy. Now, they could have. There's nothing wrong with praying that, but they didn't in this moment. They didn't say, God, remove the obstacle. They said, God, give us the courage to overcome the obstacle. 
It's powerful. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with deliver me, God, save me, God. There's plenty of prayers that are like that. And, um, but, but that's not what they prayed for. Uh, I read this week, you may have seen it online, I reread uh, Profiles Encouraged by John F. Kennedy. He said this quote in that book that made me, th- made me think of this story. He says, great crises produce great men and great deeds of courage. Again, they're not praying, God, deliver me, save me, help me. They're saying, God, I know I'm going to have to face some stuff. I need your help as I face this stuff. I know difficulties right there. I've already faced it. I know there's more. There's like wave number two about ready to crash on top of me. I need courage to surf that wave number two. I need you to help surf. See, I didn't even plan that, but surf wave number two. Um, That's what I need. So they prayed for what they needed, and they didn't pray for this other thing for whatever reason. As unpleasant as it can be to live out, here's the important thing to remember. Without resistance, without risk, courage isn't really required. If it's just really easy, it's just a thing that you're doing. It might be a good thing, but there are times where there is resistance, there's opposition, there's risk, there's uncertainty, and that's when courage is required. If God magically, supernaturally solved all my problems, I have no need for courage in my life. And really, I have no need for prayer in my life. And really, I have no need for faith in my life. If God just all of a sudden just poof, life's perfect and wonderful and no one's ever against you, nothing bad ever happened, like, you know, I would, I'm praying for that to happen, but I, I, really what I need is courage for those things that I am going to face. So I think that's an important distinction here that they make in this prayer that's important for us to note. However, to connect to what we talked about a couple weeks ago, that doesn't mean that we're not scared sometimes. There's the famous quote from John Wayne. He said, courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. Okay, that's exactly what the church is doing here. And a great example of this is actually Jesus when he's praying the night of his betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus and you would think, well, no, this is his moment. He's been, he's been living for 30-plus years from, from eternity past. This has been the plan. This is his moment. This is what he's born for. This is, who, this is his whole mission, right? But he's scared to death. He's stressed out. He's literally sweating blood. He's so stressed. And he's praying to God, okay, if there's any other way, now's the time. Okay, because I can hear footsteps. I know what's about to happen. If there's a plan B, this is, right now, would be just great to let me know what that is, and let's do that instead. But what does he pray for? He prays for courage by saying, not my will, but your will be done. That's a prayer for courage. That's a prayer for, yeah, I would rather maybe, the the human 100% of me would rather not go through with this torturous death brutal, agonizing, excruciating, or we get crucifixion, excruciating, same root there, death, uh, rather not, but your will. I need courage because I know that's kind of the plan. Like, I know that, and so I need courage in this moment. And that's where we we talked about the distinction a couple weeks ago between fear and being afraid. Fear is going to keep you frozen from doing what God wants you to do, but you can, as John Wayne tells us, you can be afraid and still walk in courage. Actually, they're kind of linked together. You have to have one really to have the other. And so as the church is doing its new thing here, there is uncertainty, there is risk, there are challenges, there's opposition, and so they simply directly pray for courage. 
If deliverance comes, great, all the better. And in fact, in a couple weeks, we'll look at an, an escape, a prison break that's supernatural where God brings deliverance. But what they're praying for ultimately is courage to face what I'm going to face. And if deliverance comes, and when it, here's the thing, when, when you see deliverance come in these stories that we'll discuss in Acts, what you're noticing is they're not just waiting around praying for deliverance. They're walking in courage and God delivers them in the middle of that, what they're facing. They're in prison when God breaks them free. They're not in a prayer meeting praying for deliverance. They're walking through the fire. They're walking into the belly of the beast. They're in prison. They're being persecuted. They're courageously doing what God's called them to do, and then God at times will supernaturally protect them, uh, pr protect them from whatever or keep things from happening to them, deliver them, whatever the case might be. But they're actively, obediently doing what God called them to do when deliverance came which leads to the third and final mile marker that we'll close with for just a few minutes here, and that is courage comes through doing. Acts 4.31, after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. So the formula here for this section is they asked, God answered, they acted. They asked, God answered, they acted. They prayed. It says the Holy Spirit filled them. The meeting place shook, probably much like Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. So like, wait, we've been here before. We felt this before. We've experienced this kind of power before. And I'm sure in their mind they're going back to, to the day of Pentecost and probably some of them are going back to Jesus in Acts 1.8 when he says, you'll be filled with power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. The promise of power in Acts chapter 1 is a promise for courage as well. It's power to do what you can otherwise not do on your own. It's courage to push past where your, where your limits are to do what God's called you to do. And so whatever they felt, sensed, or experienced in that moment, it filled them with enough courage to go out and then do what Jesus had already commissioned them to do. And really at the end of the day, as we see here, courage is a decision that we make. Because at some point, praying, now don't get mad at me when I say this, at some point, praying is not enough anymore. I then have to do that thing that I'm praying about. I have to face that giant that I'm praying about. I have to endure whatever pain or suffering that I'm praying about. Praying about it's not going to work forever. Eventually, doing has to come from that. Thinking about doing something for a while is good, but it doesn't last long enough. It has to lead to doing. Planning for something is good, but it's not enough. It has to lead to doing. Courage is a decision. They remember through their altar building and their prayer. They pray for courage, and then they just do it. They just obediently do what God's called them to do. And you might hear be today, and you might be thinking, well, that's easy for you to say, or, you know, that's easy for the people in the Bible to say, but you're talking to just me, normal, old, nobody me. Like, I don't, I don't think I have that, or I know I don't have that, or it's too scary, it's too risky, it's too big of a leap, it's, I, I can't do it. One more quote from Profiles and Courage from John F. Kennedy here. This is near the end of the book. He says, To be courageous requires no exceptional qualifications, no magic formula, no special combination of time, place, and circumstance. It is an opportunity that sooner or later is presented to us all. And sometimes the mistake that we make in reading the Bible is forgetting that these are normal people that we're reading about. They had fears, they took risks. 
They're like actual, real, normal people. However, they just simply believed in the eternal, supernatural, powerful God that we can believe in. All they did that we can do is push past fear and courage to accomplish great things and then change the world as God leads us. They're no different. Peter is no different than you. John is no different than me. We're human beings called by God who wants to fill us with courage to do what he's called us to do. You can be courageous. Yes, you. Yes, you. Yes, you. Right? Everybody, you can be courageous. The Holy Spirit desires to fill you with courage to make that decision, to take that risk, to have that conversation, to send that email or to not send that email. Sometimes that takes courage too. To make certain changes about habits or addictions in your life, to forgive someone, to ask for forgiveness of someone. God will give you courage to pray for someone, maybe randomly. He will give you courage to live out your faith boldly. He will give you courage that will then change the world. The Holy Spirit provides the courage that you need, and then all we have to do is do the doing. Do the thing that we are given courage to do. It's a decision. And here's one last thing, and then, and then we'll close. Not only is courage a decision, but courage is contagious. Maybe you're really afraid because you're going to be the first one to take that leap. And I don't know if anybody's with me on this, and so I, I don't have anything to go off of. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm all by myself. But here's the thing. You might be the first one to take that leap or make that change or have that decision or call that meeting or whatever that thing might be. You might be the first one, but courage is contagious. Somewhere along the way, others will be inspired by the courage that you have to do what you're doing, and they will join you on that front. That's really what this prayer meeting is all about. So far, Peter and John are the front men, and they've been the ones doing a lot of the courageous stuff, and now they come back and they say, we all need this kind of courage because we're all going to get scattered. We're all going to become against. We're all going to face persecution, testing opposition. So we all need that courage. It spread. It was contagious. By faith, you may be the first, but you won't be the last because courage is contagious. So this morning, do you find yourself in need of courage? Build altars to remind yourself of God's faithfulness in the past. Simply ask him for what you need, for what you're going through. Ask him for courage, boldness, confidence, wisdom, clarity. Ask, simply ask your father for what you need and then courageously do what he's filled you with courage to do. That is the road to courage that changes lives and changes the world. Let's pray. God, we all recognize this morning that we, in some way, need courage for something that you've called us to do. Maybe it's a relational decision that we're facing. Give us courage in that decision. Maybe it's personal changes that we need to make. Maybe you're convicting us about certain things. Give us the courage to make those changes. Maybe it's a career crossroads. And we're scared and there's risk and there's uncertainty. God, give us the courage to make that decision. Maybe like the book of Acts, we're facing opposition to our faith on a regular basis. God, give us courage to face that opposition. Give us boldness to stand strong in your word, by your spirit, by your power. Maybe it's just generally 
We're uncertain about life. We're just confused. We're kind of uh, in a tailspin. God, give us courage and clarity to know what to do and then the courage to do that thing, that take that next step that you want us to take. May we build those altars to remind us over the years, God, you've always been faithful. And right now I need that reminder. Thank you for those moments that I remember, that I've written down, that I've told others about to remind me in this moment of how great, powerful you are, that connection to covenant that creates courage. And God, in our prayer, may we simply just ask you for the courage that we need. May we just seek your face for all that we have need of. God, I I lack courage. Would you give it to me? God, I lack wisdom. Would you give it to me? Simply ask, and you as our loving Father will give us all that we need to then go and faithfully, courageously do what you've called us to do. To say those words, to do that thing, to make that decision, to live this life of faith. God, give us the courage then to follow through with action on the thing that you've placed in our heart to do. And that will have an effect on those around us. It will change hearts and lives through the gospel. It will impact others who need courage as they just see the same God that helps me can help you. And so let's do this thing together. God, we pray today for added, increased courage. In this day in which we live, we need it. In the culture and climate in which we find ourselves, God, we need it. And so we ask you humbly, but directly and with expectancy for courage to live the life you've called us to live. So thank you today for all those here today. Thank you for our dads once again. Uh, We just pray a blessing about all those here today. You give us a great day as we celebrate you, our ultimate loving heavenly father who gives us courage in Jesus' name, amen.